0: we can rebuild him we can make him better than he was better faster stronger all in the film file the film show for film geeks by film geeks hello and welcome back yes indeed we are back both of us even though one of us is not very well see if you can guess who i'm lee ford
1: i'm andy meakin and it's Andy Meakin,
0: who's not feeling too good. So if you've been checking us out on uh, Twitter or on our socials, you'll realise that Andy has been extremely unwell. Hence why there wasn't a show last week. In fact, it was a bit of a perfect storm in so in regards of a term. I was away on holiday uh, and I'm brown and bronze like Doc Savage himself. Uh, while Andy is um as, as well as been through a bit of the mill, haven't you, buddy?
1: Yeah. Before I get on to my illness, <laughs> we, we weren't intending to have a week's gap. And we didn't never really. We, we kind of had we it. kind of had a week and a half gap at either side because we did put out one episode over the past two weeks, but it was it, it was recorded, intended to go out as normal. And part of recording, we planned for Lee being on holiday with having extra stuff discussing like the bonus show that we're gonna do, which is gonna be, Andy's gonna review Barbie and Oppenheimer. And we're gonna have like all the look back that we've had from previous episodes of Chris Nolan films to fill it all out. Same as we did when we last did a compilation show, that we had some old and some new. And we recorded about 30 minutes worth of stuff to put into there. And then my my body decided to cripple me to the ground and send me to hospital.
0: So I just wanna check. When I told you not to look over the top of that alien egg, you took my advice. You didn't.
1: Oh, come on. It's like if you say, don't press that button. It's like, what, this one here, <laughs> click. Of course, we've got to press it. Um, so those who've been listening to the last few episodes will know that like, it's been an ongoing thing that Lee's been asking me, how am I doing? And then going, oh, but I know what you are. You're not well. And I've been having digestive issues. Well, it was then compounded. And I was at work. I'd finished a night shift. I'd locked up. And I thought, before I go home, I'm going to watch barbie and the wife came to me- meet me we sat in the screen and we got 40 minutes in and then my side started rupturing and my shoulders were in agony and i collapsed to the ground screaming in pain got rushed to the hospital I- in overnight on various medication and i mean oh, codeine. wow i've forgotten how good yes. that stuff is Oof. Once that hit and it was sunk in, it was like, the pain's still there, but I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, I, I
0: had to go on that when I had, uh, I had some surgery a couple of years back, as you remember. And I was, on, I was on Kokodomol and I was on Codeine as well. Blimey, Charlie, anything could have happened.
1: It turns out, uh, gallstones. Um, yes, that gallbladder, that thing that we don't actually need. You know, like the appendix, we don't actually need it. Gallbladder, yeah. we don't actually need that. Well, I'm, I'm one of the one in ten that has, it's decided that is going to get problems with the gallbladder and the shooting pains and the stabbing sensation was gallstones i've been on antibi- antibiotics all week um constantly on painkillers the pain's still there but it's gone down a significant amount but i'm exhausted and if i breathe in too deeply i get a stabbing pain
0: do you, do you have to breathe in? so
1: i've got used to breathing quite shallow at the moment so i'm i can't i can't go on 5 minute runs without taking a breath because I've run out of breath quite easily.
0: Thank goodness there's no Zack Snydey news this (laughs) week.
1: It also slightly hurts to laugh, which is impossible for me to not laugh. So um, this is going to be an interesting episode to get through.
0: I'll I'll try to be as dry-humoured as I possibly can.
1: And I had hiccups the other night, That was the most agonizing 15 minutes of my existence (laughs) because every (laughs) hiccup just it was like every time i hiccuped a a knife just stuck underneath my rib cage it was awful Uh, i'm on the way to list for surgery to get that gallbladder removed until then i've just got to cope with it with medication i'm currently off work i do want to go back to work you know how much i love work you know how much i miss the place and it was gutting this time because i was off i mean i was actually in hospital up until the morning of and the monthly film quiz that we do at work which i planned out i would got it all sorted together at the last minute it was all ready to go and then I, I had to send like some messages out just like can't run it not well i can't come in and yeah i get got some feedback from some of the regular quiz people who turn up saying you just take whatever time you need so really good group of people who come to the quiz and yeah, I know a few of them listen to the podcast, so a big thank you to all the all those of you who've reached out via the Facebook page or the Twitter accounts to just wish me good health. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at the cinema when I return.
0: And from me and all our listeners, uh, we, we hope you're the best, Andy. It's, it's not a good place to be, feeling unwell. But uh, I was all planning, because I've been on holiday, having um, a complete opposite time to you, and, you know, very chilled out, very relaxed. In fact, a little bit too relaxed. Though, uh, I did mention to you when, when I got back how hot it's been.
1: Yeah, Europe's been hit huge, has not it? Uh,
0: we, were in, uh, we were in one of the Greek islands. Thankfully, one of the Greek islands that wasn't on fire, but though there were some warnings um, going around. Uh, but the upside of where we were is uh, there wasn't much in the way of, of brushland, so that kind of helped it. But it was at one point it was forty degrees and it was stifling. I I was sleeping. We were sleeping in a in an apartment and there was a mezzanine where our bedroom was, and it was it was hot even with the air conditioning on and my partner went downstairs she went to sleep with the kid because it was cooler downstairs i woke up the air conditioning had gone off and i was fighting for breath and and i absolutely went into panic mode because it was so hot i couldn't get my breath i've never encountered anything like that the only time i've ever come close is, is when i had COVID. I had one night and i and I, I was short so short of breath i thought that i'd have to go into hospital i just couldn't catch my breath but it was uh yeah it's very worrying and um some of the things i've been reading since are even more concerning. But uh, if we were going to do um, a podcast about climate change, then I'd go into it in detail. But yeah, I think we are living in strange days, and uh, my optimism is is sinking as to what we can do. Yeah, um, as I'm sure a lot of other people's are. So again, I don't I don't want to spend time. We should be talking about movies, but um, it's been a bit of a week. I, I sort of planned a show just in case you you couldn't make it and i was thinking who oh, could i ring to do this no one could stand in for andy <laughs> i don't have to done it i've gone solo on this but I'm, I'm i'm glad you're here andy it's uh uh it's not good to hear that you've, you've been unwell but um you've got the support of myself and the listeners anything you need i'm gonna drop you around a little blu-ray special <laughs> that i know you're interested in Um, to help cheer you up and uh if you need anything we're all here
1: for you cheers um i'd also just like to give a big shout out to our glorious nhs we should be proud of the nhs and not be crippling it and destroying it like this current government in the uk is their care and attention towards me in that 24 hour period while i was in the hospital was impeccable and given the fact that at this point in time junior doctors are striking nurses are trying to get fair pay they're all overworked they're all stressed out but that didn't impact on the care and attention that they gave to any of us on that ward. The staff at the Northern General Hospital in Sheffield in particular are all absolute legends and they deserve to be paid everything that they are asking for. This government needs to actually sit up and pay attention to how great this institution is. Either that or just get out of the way and get a government in place who will pay attention. Bravo, bravo indeed sir. Political rant of the day.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about uh, films. Let's start off by talking about... Actually, I'm I'm just going to jump in on something. (laughs) I saw probably the worst film that I think I have ever seen. Now, I always try to find something good in everything. I think we've discussed this many times that, you know, as Mm. film critics in this show, we always want to take the positive edge, you know. Nobody really ever goes out to make a bad movie. But I saw... Uh, one of the worst things I've ever seen. And uh, I'm going to just share it with you. And that is a film called Blackbird. It, it stars uh, Michael Flatley. He of the uh, weird feet. Yes, he's the river dance guy. This is the, the worst thing I've <laughs> ever seen. It's it's so bad that it's ridiculously funny in the way that I've not seen a film that I've just I've just been agape. It's not even... F- funny where you could get some mates around to watch it and have some beers and go you know this is this is an adventure that will we'll all understand it's just that bad it's written and directed by michael flatley and it's basically a rip off of uh, casablanca he plays an, an aging spy he doesn't think he's aging that's the kind of the thing with it it's got eric roberts in it boy it is terrible if you if you really want to treat your eyeballs to the equivalent of dog food and uh, in the words of, uh, of Groot, he didn't mean to say dog food.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> it is it is just embarrassingly awful. Um, and there is a, such a, a kind of a running motif where he wears a hat at such a ridiculous jaunty angle. I think it's there to uh, to deflect against uh, a satellite because it was it's, it's that that bad a movie. Treat yourself, Andy, while you're feeling
1: well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if
0: you can find it,
1: I'll. I'll... I've just I've just had a check on Just Watch it's not available for free on any service apparently.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was on it was on uh, the local movie channel where we were. Uh, it would have been better if it had been in Greek. Uh, but it had uh, had subtitles. I'm sh-
1: I- sure subtitle. I'm sure I going by exult. your description at some point it'll end up being a Sky original.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I don't even think Sky Originals would touch it. it is, <laughs> it is- by far the worst thing. And it's, it's such a vanity project. He's, he's put his own money into it and he's directed it and written it himself. And it is probably the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, before we uh, ventured off into this no man's land of Andy's illness and my holidays, we set a question on our social challenge. And Andy, we're going back some time now. <laughs> what was the question?
1: So with uh, with things like Barbie being out and there's been other toys to film, Adaptations over recent years. So, what toy do you think is being overlooked, or board game, or whatever, being overlooked to be adapted to films throughout the years? Which would you, which from your childhood or maybe from your adulthood, would you love to see on the big screen? And what kind of genre do you think would best suit it? And we've had some, we've had some interesting answers. Come on, want to hear them via Spotify. Sam Edward said, "Action Man would make a great action spoof." Now, Action Man was a UK name, basically for GI Joe, yeah, but. I think we should go the action man route and call it Eagle Eyes and things like that. But as an action spoof, to Mission Impossible, what Austin Powers is to Bond. And I can totally see that. That would be awesome. Or a Electrics movie. A heartfelt story about a toy driver's growth underpinned by comedy cuts to cars tumbling over carpets.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think most of my Electrics uh, ended up somewhere under the sofa.
1: <laughs> Kristen Plant on Twitter. Mr. Frosty. As a rom-com <laughs> for those who don't know what mr frosty is it was uh, it was a snowman-esque shaped thing with a hole in his chest with a grinding machine to put ice in to grind the ice up and pour in the flavoring to make ice slushies and it was terrible it was absolutely terrible it was almost as bad as soda streams the description that she's put the eternal struggle to find love with ice cubes only to find they always melt And then he realizes that the penguin juice holder, oh my God, I forgot he had a penguin juice holder in the pocket.
0: (laughs) This one one passed me by.
1: Uh, Was the love of his life, sitting there under his nose all the time. I can hear Hallmark movies calling right now. I mean, that that sounds great. Uh, Lost Valley of the Dinosaurs from McNasty Prime. It writes itself, it's about Hollywood. Captain Karnstein is deliciously low on Twitter. Hungry Hippos. Wasn't there at one point that was in production? Oh, it was, it was in pre planning phases for a hungry Could have movie. been.
0: That there was that. And believe it or not, there was a, a slinky movie that had been yes. talked about for apps. And a Stretch Armstrong movie, which talked about for years and years. It's uh, one of those classic movies that, that never got made.
1: Description for Hungry Hippos movie God informs all the creatures of the earth that he's tired of humans and will replace them as his chosen species with whichever creature can eat the most people. Enter the hippos. Ooh. <laughs>
0: I love that as a title enter the hippo <laughs>
1: uh og1 kenobi just said Starcom. fair enough oh, what was Starcom? Starcom was a 1986 action figure and vehicle toy line predominantly in america um from toy maker coleco uh loads of spaceships are, uh some, some of the spaceship designs are beautiful they're the kind of things that i used to build out of lego and i, I want i want to but i'm just bringing up some images on the screen now and boy i want to buy all these right now that's how geeky and nerdy they are <laughs> over on Facebook Stephen Blaine Young Boglins the puppets not the mini bogs. oh yeah I remember them well,
0: yeah I've always had a soft spot for puppets so uh, yeah yeah I like that
1: and he says do it in the style of critters the toothy hairy aliens from space yeah yeah that could work that works Lindsay's story thinking a Rubik's Cube version of Hellraiser or when I was a kid I had a cricket doll which was basically a doll built around a cassette player my brother used to play Madonna songs on it which was terrifying so a horror based cricket doll film <laughs> and i'm not a These are great <laughs> it sounds creepy i've suggested of course being cassettes ideally they'll be a bit worn and distorted to really add to the disturbing nature i'd pay to see that one angela said sylvanian families but with a sinister twist I mean, those things always came across as sinister to me anyway and monopoly a family torn apart by a board game isn't that just christmas in every household
0: <laughs> well well ridley scott at one point was going to do a monopoly movie did you know that
1: i'm sure at some points everyone's been attached to the monopoly movie because that's something that's been touted for like three decades hasn't it
0: uh, yeah it's, it's it's one of those that's that's kind of in development hell probably for the best because no one could ever make it work
1: andy kennedy says pogs in a Yu-Gi-Oh style don't know where the pogs were just
0: after your time kind of yeah kind of remember
1: it hit me just at that cusp of like i was just turning into an adult and just do it they would on the sideline and go oh they're quite collectible don't get the game aspect um logan cooper not exactly a toy brand but lego marvel as a film would be enjoyable i like the first lego movie not the second and lego batman so this could be fun they've also thrown in a suggestion for a deep dive they'd love to see any mortal Kombat film even annihilation which really did annihilate the franchise so get ready to be subjected to mortal Kombat films mate <laughs> <laughs> It's going I,
0: I had one, I had uh, Hot Wheels, which I guess is a little bit like Scale Electrics, but a, a kind of a cross between Speed Racer, so you get the most ridiculously built tracks that you could find, but with a kind of a Le Mans quality to it as well, so you take it almost sort of very deadly seriously. A bit like that Stallone movie, what was it called, was it Drive?
1: Yes, my suggestion is Mask, Mobile Armoured Strike Command, with command spelt with a K, because someone... wasn't there.
0: Did- a- TV series. It was an, an animated, animated series,
1: it. yeah. It was another Hasbro company thing. Well and, it's bound to turn up then. And it was at one point going to get made into a movie. Back in 2015, they started script duties on it with people like Akiva Goldman um jumping on boards to draft the screenplay. And then in 2021 it all got cancelled and scrapped. But I, I think there's 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 potential in there. It, if they're trying to create this like connected universe with Transformers and G.I. Joe at the moment on screen. Whether it works or not, they're trying to do it. Why not throw MASK in there as well? Because MASK, illusion is the ultimate weapon. And I love the fact that MASK, M-A-S-K, it's short for Mobile Armored Strike Command. And they battle against VENOM, vicious evil network of mayhem. And I just love that someone was determined to force words into these acronyms.
0: You could, you could see they had the uh, had the PR meeting and go, well, we're going to call us. We knew we are a, an evil organization. We've got to say something that we're, uh, we're evil. Let's come up with an acronym. Anybody? Oh, I've, I've got this. I'm, I'm going to run it by you guys. It, it's Venom. Okay. okay what's it stand for? Right. That really sells what we're doing. I don't think there's any, any contradiction there. Show of hands, we are Venom.
1: I think that if they do do a Mask film, though, it needs to go the comedy route. I think it's such a concept that you have to not take yourself too seriously. It's vehicles with hidden weapons and strange like sub-vehicles that erupt out of them. It's ridiculous in concept. It was a great toy line. Do you
0: remember the movie Megaforce?
1: Ooh. Ooh, it rings a bell.
0: Barry Bostwick. Yeah. That's kind of Mask.
1: 1982, that film, isn't it?
0: Check it out, it, folks. If you've if you've not, mm. it is a it's a real bargain bin of a search somewhere in the world. It will it will exist, but if not, just watch the trailer. I'm sure that's on YouTube. But but Megaforce is kind of a live action mask.
1: As one final suggestion for myself, Zoids. Um, zoids were you basically got them in kit form and you build them up into like kind of dinosaur kind of creatures or giant spiders etc. There was Zoidzilla was the great big like Godzilla sized one and they had little like silver or golden humanoid characters that sat in the cockpits and the whole idea was that there was bad Zoids the red Zoids and the blue Zoids which were the good Zoids and they were in an eternal battle for occupancy of the territories and they were great little toys. There was a comic line of it. That Marvel published. They were were the
0: British Marvel, weren't they?
1: Yep. And I, the the comic line really grew the whole story and the concept of it, and like all the mythology of it. I think there's a story in there. I think there's some great visual ideas that they could bring from it. Zoids were great. I collected loads of them. I had a. I is a
0: bit of trivia for you. I used to work with the son uh, whose dad invented Zoids.
1: Ooh, that's a nice bit of a nice bit of trivia. Um, My
0: my last one, if I was going to throw one in, is is something from my childhood which is called Major Matt Mason, which was uh, kind of jumping in on the astronaut stuff of, uh, you know, the, the early Apollo stuff and NASA. I was kind of like a bendy toy. There was a couple of uh, a couple of comics and a, and, and a few sort of children's novels about Major Matt Mason. But it would be an alternate 1960s. It would be set in the 60s where we're on the moon and there are moon bases and all that kind of thing that that would be mine
1: major well, matt mason over the past decade there's been plans to do a 3d animated film based on major oh, matt mason and on the last news of it which is back in se- september 2019 paramount pictures snapped up the rights and akiva goldsman is planning to produce it oh
0: well listen if you um if, akiva if you are tuning in this week there's my pitch drop me a line fantastic so what shall we set for you this week well in our absence i've given it a lot of thought and i came up with this is there a film that you think is deserved of a sequel? A movie that came out that should have been a franchise or should have been a sequel. I'm looking at you, Bookeru Banzai. Still waiting right now. I've mean, introduced the child to Bookeru Banzai um, and he's embraced the the craziness of it. But a film that deserved a sequel or a franchise. Anything you like, it may have ended on a cliffhanger. Do you remember the film Jumper, for instance, that was going to reveal all in film two? didn't do the business is there a movie that deserves to be sequelized or be part of a franchise your choice if you think it's unjust that one of the favorite films never made it let us know in this week's social challenge all you have to do is this
1: Head on over to any social media cha- channel, have a look for Film File UK. If we're on there, the question will be on there. Respond to us via there. If you're listening through Spotify, answer via Spotify, it'll be in the description underneath the episode, or you can email us in the answer, podcast at uk.
0: So what have we got for you on this week's show? Well, we have got reviews into everything, except the two biggest <laughs> films of the year so far. No, we're not gonna be talking about Barbie, unless you want to hear the first 40 minutes. And we're not going to be talking about Oppenheimer. So Andy, I've seen absolutely bugger all, because uh, other than uh, Blackbird, which I should review, but I, I don't want to endure anybody having to go through that. So uh, Andy, what have we got this week?
1: So in the absence of Barbie and Oppenheimer, which we will get down to reviewing once we get a chance to go to the cinema, but I can't sit in the cinema at the moment. So I've been sat watching things on streaming that have dropped recently. There's They co- they clones Tyrone which is on Netflix, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, on Netflix, and Hidden Strike, which is also on Netflix.
0: We've got a deep dive into Walter Hill's The Last Man Standing. But before any of that, we've got the news, and we've got the box office. So the last time we spoke, we were telling you that uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 was going to save cinemas was going to be the movie that was going to be the big game changer. However, the world's gone pink. So Andy is Barbie the big sleeper hit. Despite what I said way, way back when it was announced there was going to be a Barbie film, is it this year's biggest film?
1: So this weekend in the US, Barbie held the top spot, taking another ninety-three million. Oppenheimer took second place with 46.7 million. Haunted Mansion. Opened in third place, taking 24.1 million. Sound of Freedom in fourth place, 12.8 million. And Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, 10.6 million to hold into fifth place. In the UK, Barbie in top spot, taking 13 million this weekend. Oppenheimer in second place, taking another 8 million. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning in third place, 1.8 million. Elemental holding into fourth place, doing well with the families during the summer holidays. 1.17 1.17 million added to its total. And talk to me, the horror of May 24, 643,000 in fifth place. Barbie in the UK so far has taken just under £50 million. Pounds, and Oppenheimer has taken just under £30 million. Very strong two weeks for UK box officers. In the worldwide totals, Barbie is already up to £795 million. It's well and truly going to pass the billion in the coming weeks. Oppenheimer is on 412 million and Mission Impossible is slowing down significantly. It's now up to 449 million. So. Pretty much what I was saying from day one, that Barbie was gonna surprise a lot of people and blow expectations out of the water. And it's been great news for the past couple of weeks with Barbie and Oppenheimer, but it has been sad news for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which was stripped of over 1,100 screens on its second week across the US alone. After opening to such high numbers as well, the impact of the double duo Barbie and Oppenheimer has basically killed Mission Impossible. It plummeted 65% on week two, and is pretty much vanishing completely off the radar now, which means that it's performing significantly worse than all the previous entries in the Mission Impossible franchise. This, this is one that had a COVID-inflated budget that was almost doubled earlier entries. We are still gonna get part two next year. That's already in, in production, you know, so don't worry that this underperforming means that we're not gonna to get to see the finale. We are gonna see it, but it's very, very disappointing that due to the crammed release slate over this past couple of months, And knowing that the release slate is going to be quite empty for the next year, that it's caused a film that deserved to do so much more to plummet so much. A quick note on Barbie. In its first week worldwide, it took over 500 million. Wow. And Oppenheimer, after its first week, was up to 253 million worldwide. Both went straight into profit in week one. Barbie went straight into the top five worldwide box office for this year in its first week, I think it's got potential that Barbie's going to finish, possibly even beating Super Mario.
0: So let's hang on and talk about how we think this is all going to pay off in the next couple of weeks, because one of the films that was written off as being a bit of a box office dud has actually ended up quietly, very, very quietly under the radar and turned out to have become a bit of a box office hit, which was a film that both you and I loved, which was uh, Boogeyman. Mm-hmm. So while it looked initially like it was going to be a disappointing opener for that film, it sort of sank under the radar in uh, against some of the much, much bigger films. It's been there quietly laying back in the box office, not leaving the box office uh, and turning a profit. Now, I, I bring that up because A, we both really enjoyed that film, but the way that things start dropping off now and people aren't rushing for opening weekend figures, there's a chance that Mission Impossible could just keep hanging in if nobody sort of loses their nerve with it, if you get my point.
1: Yeah, it's also been great on a cinema shop floor point of view to see the mixture of audiences who've been coming in for both for, well for pretty much all films barbie was not one target demographic. barbie was every demographic covered there was young old male female there was so much pink being worn by everyone i don't think i ever need to see the color pink ever again uh, <laughs> but it's brought a lot of people to the cinema who haven't been for quite some time and everyone's been having fun and as a result we're seeing the In the US, Meg 2 and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film are tracking well already. And it's maybe going to have that knock-on effect that people have been reminded what film going is all about at cinemas and what that experience is. And it's the collective enjoyment of the films. People buying into the dress in pink and watch Barbie and are collectively enjoying being amongst other people doing the same. This is great for cinemas. And it'd be great to see, you know, like you say, things hold over week on week, and it no longer be all about that week one revenue, and it's more about long-term effect and long-term impact, the word of mouth, the generation footfall. Uh, We'll we'll see in the coming weeks whether Mission Impossible can recover. I'd like it to recover. I think it deserves to recover.
0: We had such a great time with it.
1: It was cracking film. But like I suggested earlier, we're possibly going to have a bit of a darker turn over the next year at Cinema Footfall due to, and it's time to update, On the strike actions. So there's no progress on any of the negotiations. There's a lot of strike action, there's a lot of picketing going on. Major Hollywood studios and streaming platforms are now reportedly considering terminating some of their first-look deals with the writers as soon as August the 1st, according to multiple sources for Variety. Both SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America continue to strike. Existing deals with writers are going to be torn up under contractual force majeure clauses as early as next week. Many of those deals were suspended only a week into the strike in May by producers like Amazon, HBO, Warner Brothers, TV NBC, Universal, CBS Studios, Disney. The studios are already saving money by having paused so many deals already. And with the writer's strike now up to the 90-day mark, a time when dealmakers have the option to kill agreements, it's going to happen, which basically means that writers don't have that guaranteed person to look at their scripts to put things into production. And they've then got to start knocking on doors again when they start back up to work. This is the studios are playing hardball. We said this last time we spoke about them. The studios are playing hardball and they want the writers to be forced into a suffering situation so they'll accept any deal to start getting some money.
0: That's a dreadful situation to be put into. I I think now as we head into fall, that you know, it's, it's been a long time. A lot of a lot of writers will be have been out of work, especially some of the lesser paid writers who are just guys for hire are going to be suffering out there. And uh, this really needs resolving. And I thought, and we talked about this, that the SAG strike would help move things along. And uh, clearly, at this point, it's not. Uh,
1: the studios are also they're trying to play rather underhand, hardball tactics and trying to entice cinema distribution chains. And other distribution channels to stand alongside them rather than supporting the actors as it will it will impact on the shop floor revenue for cinemas so these silly actors are going to put you out of business and i think that's despicable yeah because i know from talking to people who work within the industry that i work in that we are all on the side of the writers and the actors here so to try to make us feel that we should turn on the people that we support no i'm not having it I think it's disgraceful behaviour, and I think the studios, particularly you know the fact that the CEOs of the studios, like Bob Iger, and I know we we praise Bob Iger for his wisdom at some points, but on this these issues, he's completely out of touch when he's earning minimum of thirty five million per year, while writers are struggling to get twenty six thousand. It's disgraceful. Where will it end? Don't hold your breath. SAG-AFTRA National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator, Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, suggests that we shouldn't be shocked if this continues through until January or February next year. And the impact of it is that all the major studios are now reportedly looking over their books of films that are ready or productions that are ready for TV and spacing them out a bit more. There was rumours that June 2 was going to be shifted, rumours that Warners were looking at their whole slate for the end of the year and moving everything to next year. But the June 2 being moved has been dismissed by the studio, and it's just been granted a five-week IMAX exclusivity, which suggests to me that they're not going to move, as that kind of real estate is very hard to come by, and there's a huge win for Warner Brothers for that. So much so that I think it's going to impact on Disney moving one of their things that now can't get an IMAX release, and that's the Marvels. The Marvels will not be able to get an IMAX release. Some scenes were shot in IMAX. Right, This is going to get shifted, and I reckon that Marvels will get shifted to the Deadpool 3 slot next year.
0: That would make sense. That would uh, that would figure out.
1: Now, speculation on what other things Disney are potentially looking at to move because of the strike action might include the November release of the animation studios Wish, along with a trio of their Searchlight films. Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things, which has been scoring quite well, critically, at um, festivals that it's been shown at. That's uh, the Emma Stone film. Taika Waititi's next goal wins that I feel like we've been waiting on for about 17 years, (laughs) which stars Michael Fessbender. And the Jonathan Majors-led magazine Dreams were all slated for release this year. Might be shifting to next year. Some of Disney's films might be too far along in their marketing to stop. The Marvels, you could say, is pretty early in the marketing. It's not had a huge marketing push yet. There's also one studio who have already announced release date changes, and that's Sony. Now, the most notable shift, and let's be honest, we didn't expect it to come out at this time anyway, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, the third part of the Spider-Verse trilogy, won't be hitting its March the 29th, 2024 launch date, and it currently doesn't have a release date. Now, a few weeks ago, we commented how the animators were under so much pressure on the previous one, and there was a lot of backlash, and we'd suggested that it's not going to hit March. They're going to space it out. This is exactly what we predicted.
0: And just keeping in mind that writers who work in animation aren't on strike because they're not part of uh, part of the same union. In fact, due to a deal that Disney made way, way back at the beginning of, of Disney Studios, anybody who wrote for animation doesn't get the same benefits as uh, any other writer. Anyway, just moving on, as a bit of an aside.
1: You'll be very disappointed to hear that the Craven the Hunter movie has been delayed. I am
0: very disappointed to hear that,
1: Andy. Uh, it's moved from October the 6th this year to August the 30th, 2024. That's a huge move. Sony isn't going to release that film without a full marketing push. It needs its stars to be on the front line of the marketing. And obviously, as they're striking, they're not going to be on the front line. The Gran Turismo film has been pushed back a few weeks to August the 25th, although it will still continue to have a sneak weekend previews on its original August the 11th opening and the following weekend. So that in order to limit the fact that they can't use the stars to promote and market it, they're using the cunning tactic of sneak preview weekends to try to get word of mouth to market it instead, which I think is quite a smart idea. The new Karate Kid movie is also moving from June the 7th, 2024, to December the 13th, 2024. Marvel's Madam Web film is now moved up to two dates to February the 14th, 2024. And Blumhouse's They Listen. Which was set for August the 30th, 2024, is now undated. The already completed filming Bad Boys 4 and the pause production Venom 3, which were previously undated, have now got release dates of June the 14th, 2024, and July the 12th, 2024, respectively. And the biggest non-surprise of the lot, Ghostbusters Afterlife is not coming out for Christmas. Oh. Remember when I said there's no way taking Christmas is going to come out round about Easter? Well, it's coming out. Ooh, roundabout Easter next year, March the 29th, 2024. It's a no-brainer. Some of these, obviously, are because of the writer's strike and the screen actor's strike. Some of them are simply because there's going to be empty spaces across the schedules over the next year and they're wanting to space their revenue as best as they can in the coming years.
0: This is kind of... Kind of a throwback to when we were talking about movies during lockdown, yeah. isn't it? And, and schedule changes, and this is not going to happen, and that's not going to happen. These these are really dark times for the industry, especially in light of it been a, a difficult year. I bet some of the studios are now wishing, instead of having crammed everything into this summer, that they'd have spaced it out just a little bit more. Yep. We'll wait and see. So is there any good news on that? I feel we need some good news. I've, I've got some interesting news, based on the back of what, what you've just said. I'm going into the world of TV, so we've talked about this since its inception, since it was first announced, and that's Noah Hawley's Aliens TV series, which is a, a prequel. So in Thailand where there's no SAG or AFRA strike that can close down your productions. Actors and writers across the TV industry pick it in across the world, except out in Bangkok, production presses on for Noah Hawley's eagerly awaited upcoming Alien prequel series. And according to um, information that I've heard, we know that Alex Lawther, who was end of the effing world mm-hmm. star and the Babadook's Essie Davis are among the ensemble joining. Um, Sidney Chandler for this Ridley Scott produced series so there's not much yet in the way of press but what we do know is that Lothra is set to play the series male lead who is a, a soldier named CJ and Essie Davis will take on the role of a distinguished sounding Dame Sylvia uh, Elsewhere also reports that further cast editions are in the shape of Samuel Blenkin, who you'll know from Black Mirror who's set to play a CEO called Boy Cavalier and the White Tigers Ardash Garav as a character simply known as Slighty. That's about it. But while everything is clearly shutting down, all this series seems to be moving on at this stage.
1: Yeah, it is interesting that there's only three of the cast members of SAG-AFTRA members on this TV series, which means that they've reworked all the production schedule shooting to delay their participation for as long as possible so they can shoot all the scenes that they're not involved in and start the production going early, with the hope that by the time they get to needing them, all of this will have been resolved. Most of the rest of the main cast are members of the UK acting union, Equity, and thus can film their scenes. But all cast were reportedly told that they could choose to not work in support of SAG-AFTRA if they wished to. So that it's not the studio forcing everyone to work. They're giving them the option of, do you want us to make this or do you want to support SAG-AFTRA? At this point in time, do you want to still get production going? Um, All the scripts for the series were completed before the writer's strike was called in May. Ridley Scott, executive producing, and it's booked out most of the sound stages in Bangkok and employ 400 Thai nationals to work alongside it. And it's a completely separate project to the Fede Alvarez-directed Alien movie that is already in post-production.
0: Okay, so, any other news?
1: Quick update on the Borderlands movie. <laughs> it's got a release date. Oh, has it? Yeah, August the 9th, 2024. Yes, a film that was in the can two years ago.
0: Well, we talked about this in the <laughs> last show that we did together.
1: Yes. It had It's had reshoots, it's had 10 different writers, it's had Craig Mazin taking his name off the writing credits, it's had Tim Miller drafted in amicably to reshoot a chunk of rewrites with Eli Roth, busy with other things. Yeah, this is a mess. <laughs> this is a mess that they've given it another year to try to sort out. So expect it to be a Sky Original sometime next year. With Barbie doing so well, it probably hasn't come as much of a surprise that Mattel have now dug into all of their IPs and greenlit around 14 new films based on their <laughs> IPs. Of course they have.
0: <laughs> I, f- I feel we were there first. And, and look, listen, just go back and listen to our... Uh, challenge of the week question <laughs> and uh, you'll find some of the some of the top choices that listeners want to see
1: first up we've got a barney movie which is being compared to spike jones as being john malkovic an adaptation and is going to be unique to make a quote fits with previous descriptions of daniel Kaluuya's produced movie about the iconic purple dinosaur being a surrealistic and a24 type and yeah i'm there for it I'm as there for a Barbie movie done in a surreal manner as I was from day one when they said the Barbie movie. It's going to have more adult themes and sort of be a little bit off kilter. Lily Collins from Emily in Paris is going to play Polly Pocket in a family comedy written and directed by girls creator Lena Dunham. Okay. Uh, Script is already ready with a pair of talents already having collaborated on it. We've got the J.J. Abrams produced grounded and gritty adaptation of Hot Wheels.
0: Oh, I was there. Yeah, see, I, you know, they I, they listened. They they listened.
1: Which, according to Brenner, boasts real characters that you can relate to that are three-dimensional, that have emotional journeys. Not clear how far along this production is.
0: Yeah, well, you tell you what, it's, uh, it's Le Mans meets Speed Racer. I'm telling you, that's what it's going to be.
1: And then, in early development phases with no scripts yet, are Rock'em Sock'em Robots, Starring Vin Diesel.
0: Yeah, that was that. We talked about that some time, though,
1: didn't we? And when we spoke about it, we mentioned like, didn't we already have this film? It was called Real Steel. It had Hugh Jackman in it. It's really good. <laughs> Deep dive that at one point. An uh, American Girl family comedy. The Tom Hanks led Major Matt Mason film. There you go. Yep. Major Matt Mason. Tom Hanks is going to be in it. I can see that. Mark Foster directed Thomas and Friends. <laughs> There's more Thomas <laughs> Thomas and Friends movies. There's the Magic Eight Ball movie that has been speculated so many times.
0: It should be a horror film.
1: Uno. Wishbone. Matchbox and Viewmaster and the long gestating and troubled Masters of the Universe adaptation and a true story tale feature titled Christmas Balloon. Yes, we are about to enter the Metelliverse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I've just mentioned that animation writers aren't affected by the strike or neither of our animators. So this landed just the other day while I was away, so we've not had a chance to talk about it. And that is, a new animated Watchmen movie is coming from DC in 2024
1: yeah i'd read a snippet on that we don't know a lot about it we don't we don't know whether it's going to be a direct adaptation of the graphic novel or whether it's going to enhance it or expand upon the story or take some of the before watchman odds and ends but whatever they do with it i'm quite looking forward to it
0: they're also working on a justice league crisis on infinite earths an adaptation of the marv wolfman and george perez 12 issue maxi series which was the foundation of Basically, the DC universe from the 80s onwards. So interesting. And I think we might be seeing probably a, a lot more of these animated series, especially in light. I would like to see an, a Watchmen animated film that really looks like Dave Gibbons' art and, well, doesn't mm. try to please Alan Moore. Is bold enough to be doing something a little bit different and and see a, a proper adaptation of the comics, but we'll, we'll wait and see.
1: I don't think anything can please Alan Moore. To be no, with I don't you. think. I, as
0: I was saying those words, uh, <laughs> I was realising that it wasn't. It's a complete impossibility. Hey, there've been some good trailer drops this last week.
1: What have you caught? Did you see the Exorcist one? Not yet. No, I've got it on my list to watch today. Ooh found that quite chilly. Did, did it tap into everything that the Exorcist should be? Yes, yeah, so far
0: from from what I've seen about it, i it's got a, a, a yeah it's a trailer, so it could go either way, but I thought it, it offered a an interesting point of view on it as it's a, a legacy sequel. Uh, there was um Henry Cavill's final um scenes teased in the Witches season three part two trailer.
1: Yeah. The boys Gen V trailer landed over this last week as well.
0: Didn't see that one.
1: Everything that you expect from the boys doing I mean Gen V is basically generation X it's that X-Men parody era of like a high school like academy for potential superpowers and it looks exactly what you'd expect from the boys it looks over the top gratuitous violence comical as heck and I cannot wait since we last recorded as well the new Marvels trailer landed
0: oh I didn't see that one I missed that one
1: if you weren't already sold on the Marvels this one completely sells it we get to see a bit more of like who they're fighting against and why their powers are interlinked and it looks so much fun and the the true star of that film so far for me has got to be iman valari's kamala khan she is just a force of energy in
0: in miss marvel
1: and uh i know you're not going to be interested but there was a new trailer for meg 2 landed just in time for the film coming out and i am all over that like a rash giant sharks and giant krakens Attacking a beach resort. I am there. Jason Statham trying to punch a shark. Give me that in my face.
0: (laughs) David Fincher is to debut his new film at the Venice Film Festival. We know that the title is The Killer, uh, with a cast led by Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton, Arliss Howard and Charles Parnell. And the official long line is after a near fatal miss an assassin battles his employers, And himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. The film is adapted from a French graphic novel of the same name with a script by Andrew Kevin Walker who teams with after Seven and music of course from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Uh, The rest of the world will get to see The Killer on Netflix from the 10th of November.
1: The Star Wars Lando series has been mooted at various points, but it appears that there's been some developments behind the scenes. And this development has apparently happened a few months ago, but nothing had been revealed until this past week. Donald Glover and his brother Stephen Glover are now writing, or will be, once the writers' strike ends, um, the series for Lucasfilm and the Disney Plus series. Donald Glover obviously going to reprise the role of Lando Calrissian that he had in the solo A Star Wars story. Dear White People creator Justin Simeon was originally attached to Lando back in 2020 with Glover expected to reprise the role. Simeon recently told the direct that he had no idea what was going on with it and that's where the investigation came in to find out what's going on. Those who want to know what Glover's writing ability is, oh, there was this show on FX called Atlanta that did pretty well Ooh. critically and audience-wise that they previously collaborated on so um i think it's in good hands so i'm excited for this i thought that donald glover was a great lando in a bad film
0: i've got a bit more love for, for solo than the most But I I can see why people have problems with it. It's not one of those where you go, oh, I don't get it. But yeah, I I totally do get it.
1: I'd be well and truly up for seeing a TV series based around the character. So that's something to look forward to once the strikes have ended.
0: Staying in Star Wars universe, we know that Ashoka is the next run of the Star Wars TV series. But Star Wars The Acolyte will be aiming for a Disney Plus release between April the 1st and June 30th. And or season two is already confirmed for an August release. And the Skeleton Crew was supposed to premiere this year, but it's been a while since we've heard anything, so it's likely to drop in 2024, even possibly early 2025.
1: Peacock has officially set the launch plans for the John Wick prequel series, The Continental, which was originally planned to be three feature-length parts set over three nights. It's now going to be released on three separate weeks, September the 22nd, September the 29th, and then October the 6th. The Continental is set in the 1970s and will follow the character of Winston as the Continental's origins are explored as this safe haven for the assassins of the John Wick world.
0: Uh, Interestingly enough, talking about Peacock, Peacock as a network is losing money, hand over fist right now, with its viewing figures quite low, with Peacock set to launch in the UK as part of the uh, Sky Streaming package. But in the States, the streaming service is losing money, reporting a loss, 651 million in its first quarter compared to a loss of 704 million last quarter and 444 million a year ago so uh quarterly reviews aren't looking good for peacock right now and we always said that eventually some of the streaming services are just going to have to go yep. if they're not making any money
1: yep on the similar subject of studios realizing where it's worth investing money paramounts CEO Brian Robbins spoke with Variety this week and said that the plans for animation going forward is they're not going to release an expensive original animated movie and just pray people will come. It's not about Disney and Pixar anymore. People are looking for animated movies that are irreverent and have a comedic point of view. And the result is that animated releases are going to centre on familiar properties. TMNT, for example, which is one of the Paramount's releases now, and animated films based on things like SpongeBob SquarePants, Avatar The Last Airbender, it needs to be a recognisable name for their animation studio now. They're not going to take risks with something that hasn't been heard of before. In Brian Robinson's words, it's no one's fault. COVID and inflation took the $100 million movies and made them cost $200 million but movie tickets didn't go from $12 to $24. We have to ask, how do we build movies? What's necessary? We need to make smart choices. You can't have everything, but you need that foundation to be strong. And on terms of live action films, Paramount is also continuing to develop. It's The Saint reboot with Reggie Page starring in the lead role. And Robin still has hopes for Dungeons & Dragons getting a sequel, although he said that they've got to figure out a way to make it for less.
0: Which we both had a good time with, so we were quite disappointed. That it didn't look like it was going to to move forward as a
1: franchise. Quick update on the famous five news that you gave us on the last show.
0: (laughs) Is there lashings and lashings of ginger beer involved? I mean, it's
1: such a bizarre. I mean, Nicholas Winding reference attachment to it. I do not get. But this new series has now got its cast. Diana Babnikova is going to play the role of George, alongside Elliot Rose as Julian, Kit Rockerson as Dick, Flora Jacoby Richardson as Anne, and the quartet, along with George's faithful dog Timothy, make up the famous five who are staying at Kirrin Cottage over the summer. And they get caught up in adventures that involve criminals, lost treasure, secret passages, and more. And BBC are ploughing so much money into this. And it's going to be one of the highest profile series to come from the BBC children's department in recent years. I'm not writing it off completely. I've got a bit of nostalgic love for Famous Five because it kind of captured my attention as a kid.
0: You see, I have, but only through the Comic Strip Presents.
1: (laughs) Which was a great, great, great... Satirical. Guys, if you if you don't
0: know what we're talking about, try and check box. out someone. <laughs> there you go. It's on the box. Check it out. Well
1: worth checking uh, out.
0: You'll thank us for it.
1: I I I more want to check this out because that director getting involved in the production of something like Famous Five. This is the guy who gave us drive and pusher. <laughs> I can't think about anything further from the Famous Five. But hey, let's see.
0: Rick and Morty, as we know, are to replace Justin Royland with sound alike voice actors. So it's not going to be going the way of Solar Opposites, which basically is totally recasting the voices. And, and we said that Dan Stevens has joined the cast of uh, Solar Opposites. The actors in question, even though they haven't been announced yet, are basically going to be as close to the Rick and Morty sounding actors as at all possible. Um, I don't know what to make of this. Uh, Rick and Morty's part of its charm was Justin in Roiland. Mm. He, it's his edge that, that made it work. So um, we know that Adult Swim ended its relationship in early 2023 after news broke that he was facing charges of domestic battery and false imprisonment, even though the charges were later dropped. But it seems other accusations against the writer and voice actor emerged in the meantime, with more than one person coming forward and alleging that Royland sent them sexual messages when they were underage. age. So uh, it's been investigated for inappropriate workplace conduct going back to 2020. I'll, I'll wait and see. I'll wait and see. I'm not going to write it off just yet, but I know that when they've replaced voice actors before, it takes me out of, of the show. I'm not. It's not to say I'm defending him, but uh, it's always disappointing when a talent is thrown out of a show. But we'll wait and see. I know that sounds as though I am defending him, and I'm, I just want to make a
1: point that I am not. And to finish off, there's a curious one. You might have seen this what? news about a steelbook edition for One Division that was. Oh released. yes.
0: It makes no sense to me. This
1: it became all the news last week. If you've missed it, when Manta Lab, who creates steel books for many partners uh, that they, they craft great steel books for different distributors, different film releases, etc., began taking pre-orders on one for one division that doesn't have any discs. Initially, online, <laughs> everyone piled on Disney, saying that this was ludicrous, and Disney are clearly just trying to promote their Disney Plus service, But why would people want to buy a steel book with an empty box? However, it turns out that Disney had nothing to do with it and didn't even know that this was happening. And indeed, they still have no realized plans for releasing any of their Disney Plus exclusive content to physical media anytime soon. Despite the the fact that there is a demand from physical collectors to add things into their MCU collection that have already been on, released on Disney Plus, uh, the studio are now looking into whether or not Manta Lab can actually get away with releasing effectively empty bootlegs. And the Ooh, fact that yeah. the fact that Manta Lab are releasing these empty boxes and kind of suggesting that people find a disc to put in there themselves, wink, wink, is skirting some dubious legal grounds yeah meanwhile disney are pulling away from physical media in australia which has prompted some backlash from 4k uhd collectors who now have to look for import versions for their collections um, but this is all a matter of economics sales of physical media in australia has dropped so much it simply isn't profitable for them to manufacture specifically for the australian audience anymore guardians of the galaxy volume 3 is going to be the last disney disc release down under
0: only a couple of shows ago we mentioned that some of the streaming services are pulling content and if you want to have and see that content you can't always rely on being on netflix disney plus etc etc of course the marvel films are all going to be there but you know don't say goodbye just yet to your uh, physical copies
1: keep holding your physical it's gonna be worth a fortune hold on to your
0: stash <laughs> and that folks that's the news so if you're enjoying the show and there's no reason that you shouldn't and you haven't done so We'd like you to subscribe to the Filmfile podcast. Yes, become part of the Filmfile family by subscribing via your favorite podcast platform and joining us and helping us promote the show that we just absolutely love doing. We implore you to tell your friends, get everybody on board and get involved because there's so much more we would like to do with the Filmfile and we cannot do it without you. We do this for free we do this for the love but we do want to deliver even more content and that is costly so one of the things that we can ask you to do we're not going to ask you for sending us cash so get on board the least you can do is subscribe to the show and leave likes become part of the film file family other ways you can interact with us are via the following
1: social media facebook instagram uh, Twitter, or should I say X threads. We're on Mastodon. Just go on a social social media channel, search for Filmfile UK. If we're on there, you'll find us. Uh, you can get in touch with us there. You can get in touch with us via email, podcast at filmfile.uk. Thoughts, suggestions, recommendations of films that you think that we should check out. Films that you think that we shouldn't check out, that we will inevitably do anyway to find out why you told us not to. Films that you can't remember the name of, but you know a few details of. Go on, challenge us. We love those kind of challenges.
0: Yeah, well, I like to call that section, that film with that man in it, because even from that brief description, we can tell you exactly what that film is.
1: It was Logan's run. Yep, there you go. There you go. We <laughs> knew it. So just get in touch. We love to hear from you.
0: And now it's time for this week's Deep Dive. <laughs> This week's Deep Dive, stars Bruce Willis, Christopher Walken, Bruce Dern, Leslie Mann, David Patrick Kelly, is directed by Walter Hill. It came out in 1996, and it is The Last Man Standing. I was coming through Texas on my way to Mexico. I needed some time to hide out. I should have known better. Didn't take too long before it started. a good idea to be looking at mr doyle's girl that way i seem to remember a guy once told me this is a free country are you free to go two bootlegging gangs from chicago took over this town you got strazzi and the italians on one side and doyle and his irish boys on the other maybe i can make some money
1: well you came to the right place sir because everybody here is making a lot of money his name's smith at least that's what he says did you get that car
0: of yours fixed yet hoping maybe you could help me pay the damages i guess maybe you'll have to kill me it'll hurt if i do with a very familiar story which we'll talk about in a brief while this film is set during the prohibition era john smith a gunslinger finds himself stuck between two warring gangs who've driven out the townspeople of jericho and taken over the land themselves written and directed by the great action director walter hill this is a credited remake of akira Kurosawa's yojimbo also the template for a fistful of dollars um this bombed big time when it came out but i've got a feeling both andy and i have got some love for this
1: this came out in a period that bruce willis was huge He'd come off the back of things like Last Boy Scout, which we spoke about in earlier, earlier episodes, uh, Death Becomes a, Pulp Fiction, Die Hard with a Vengeance, 12 Monkeys. Then this came out. And even just after it, he had things like Fifth Elements, The Jackal, Armageddon. The guy was on a roll. So how did this become one blip that didn't manage to find an audience? It was a bizarre one because the marketing promised something that looked like it was going to be an action spectacle. The marketing was all fun, frantic action, guns firing, people flying back through windows. It looked tantalizing. For me, it drew my attention because it was 1930s Prohibition era set films, and I love that era of films. And it was adapting Yojimbo, which I'd recently watched just before this film came out. And so I was like, oh, this could be interesting. Because having only recently seen Yojimbo, I'd seen the similarities with Clint Eastwood's Man With No Name, Fistful of Dollars adaptation. And I was very interested to see a gangster 30s era take on that and see how it adapted. I was also quite enamoured with Walter Hill's previous work that had seen by that point. I mean, I'd seen things like The Warriors. I'd seen, obviously, 48 Hours. I'd seen Red Heat, Extreme Prejudice, um, and Trespass in more recent years. Yeah, I've got
0: a lot of love for Trespass. Yeah, which is itself a, a, a remake of Treasure of Sierra Madre. I'm I'm just going to jump in there, Andy. For those who don't know Yojimbo, it is a classic 1961 um, samurai film directed by Akira Kurosawa, who directed and and, and co-wrote the film. Of course, as Andy mentioned, it was the subject of an unauthorized European remake, which was Fistful of Dollars, which starred Clint Eastwood, and it was the film that shot Clint Eastwood to fame. But that was the subject of litigation. So when Hill agreed and learned that Kurosawa was open to a US remake. He decided to do it as a 1930s gangster film, but using techniques of 1940s film noir.
1: Yep. The film set in that small town two rival gang, bootleg gangs fighting for control, and Bruce Willis's mysterious stranger. He's a man with no name. He's called John Smith. He sees potential to make money from both the gangs after he gets stranded in the town after a run in with one of the gang's operatives and he sets about turning the two sides against each other whilst trying his best to not get too embroiled into what goes on this is a great example of what hill does it's visually superb the visual style suits the mood it suits the setting it uses a lot of orange as a palette uh, it's got an orange filter throughout it to give it that like that ground noir mid midwest america kind of setting
0: you you could say that it's it's quite drab looking but this Mm. is sort of dust bowl america isn't it
1: yes there's a lineup of inherently selfish characters Willis Smith is not much of a hero, really. He's immensely unlikable and self-serving pretty much throughout. There's only one small bit of redemption moments involving the girl that starts all the chain of events going when he wants to, wants her to get back to her own family and get away from this life. And it makes a refreshing change to have a central character that could have just been a generic hero, but actually isn't. And you kind of half root for, but half hope he gets his comeuppance at the same time. The cast around him, William Sanderson as the Innkeeper Joe, is marvellous, almost comic relief at times, but underplayed. Bruce Dern as the sheriff who just lets things take place. Michael Imperioli, who you'll recognise from Sopranos, as a Chicago mobster who's working with Ned Eisenberg Strozzi. And then Christopher Walken on absolutely fine menacing form as Hickey, the most feared gunman for the Irish mob boss Doyle, who's played excellently by David Patrick Kelly. Walken is clearly having a riot in this role. He's chewing every line of dialogue and every bit of scenery around him when he's on screen. And he's so perfectly menacing in that role.
0: This captures all the elements of, of what one would expect in a Walter Hill film, uh, which is a kind of a cinematic throwback to those Bogart and Mitchum style films. Hill had already made his name, as Andy said, of writing and directing very macho-based movies. Um, the Driver, uh, The Warriors, Southern Comfort, which is my particular favourite out of all of Walter Hill's films, 48 Hours. Every film he's done, according to Hill himself, has been a Western. And this is a Western. As we've said, this is um, a fistful of dollars. But that added quality of setting it with Tommy Guns and uh, the Midwest setting gives it a very, very particular style. It's a somber film. It's a it's a lonely mm. film. No one in the film, again, as, as you said, Andy, comes out of this particularly well. But what we do have is uh, an intriguing movie that is downbeat with a downbeat ending and is a throwback more to 70s films than the films that we're getting usually in the mid 90s
1: yep somber paced resolution isn't entirely joyful but the shootouts are brutal and over the top and very hollywood so whilst it's kind of got a grounded aesthetic with the drama and the dialogue and the the, the mood and the atmosphere once the guns start shooting you have bullets sending people flying upwards into the air in stylized flourishes in that way that w- walter hill loves to just emphasize things it's almost like a comic booky kind of approach that he takes to action he uses the action in an over-the-top way even though he's telling a very grounded story i absolutely took to this film when it first came out it bombed completely at the box office but i then bought it on vhs as soon as it came out on vhs because i wanted to revisit it at the time of its release the film i think what let this film down was the marketing marketed it out as an all-out bruce willis action fest but it wasn't anything of the sort, which resulted in critics hating it for possibly the wrong reasons. Famous critic Roger Ebert hated it completely. He called it cheerless, dry, and wrung out, and said that all the elements that should be fun are in there, guns, bangs, spectacular displays of death, but they just crouch and growl at the audience. It's not meant to be fun. It's not meant to be an action spectacle. It's meant to be growling at the audience. He's criticised it for it being what it was intended to be. He went in expecting Die Hard in a desert town, obviously, and kind of missed the fact that this was an adaptation of Yojimbo. And Yojimbo itself doesn't elicit cheers and whoops.
0: Again, it's a it's a morally ambiguous film, Yojimbo. Yeah. Uh, as is Fistful of Dollars. Uh, I got some love for this film. Uh, it's not the best Walter Hill film. It was towards the end of Hill's heyday after he'd come off things like the long riders um and as he entered into the 2000s his his work became even more sparse but it's walter hill he is a master of traditional storytelling he's a master of a film and you can see this across all of the films in all the genre that he's done there's no simple resolutions in his films these are films that are that are about honor in the way that old westerns were uh, with that sort of hard case crime uh, feel to it i do like it i like it a lot i think it's undeserved of the panning that it got and i think bruce willis plays it again like like mitchum and plays it like bogart he's he's could be considered stiff and unemotive but that as you said is the john smith character andy if if people do want to check out The Last Man Standing, and it is well worth checking out. Mm. Where can you find the film?
1: It's not available for free on any streaming service at the moment. Uh, You can rent it from pretty much all streaming services, uh, but you can only rent it in SD because it's not had a HD transfer as of yet. I'm going to start the campaign for this to get a HD transfer because I think that this is a film that could really benefit from a bit of polish.
0: Well worth seeing. And we're still hanging on for Dead for a Dollar, the 2022 Walter Hill Western. Uh, written and directed by him, which starred Christopher Waltz and Willem Dafoe. Uh, While it got a release in the States back in 2022, there's still been no sign of it this side of the pond. We'll be back next week with another deep dive. And now it's time for this week's reviews, which do not include Oppenheimer or Barbie. There, we've warned you. So I've seen none of the films that Andy's reviewing. I know that comes as nothing, nothing of a surprise on this show, but I have been on holiday. That's my excuse. But there are films that Andy's talking about that I do want to see. And in particular, the first film on that list.
1: And that'll be They Cloned Tyro.
0: Everything okay in there, baby. I'm a man With a the money at? I'm an entrepreneur. i work in the spirit at a pimp game.
1: You know your girl gotta know what's going on in these streets.
0: That's the car right there. Shit.
1: I elevated this bitch. Slick, come on. That'll make your spider senses tingle. What kind of shit is this? Like I'm in the twirling zone now. Don't let the back door hit you. Uh
0: we gotta,
1: we got to go. Fontaine, played by John Boyega, is a drug dealer in a neighbourhood known as The Glen, who goes about his daily routine as usual, confronting slick Charles, Jamie Foxx, over money that he owes, meeting up with Yo-Yo, played by Tiona Paris, along the way, before being fatally shot by another dealer who he ran down earlier that day. However, despite being killed, the next day Slick is surprised when Fontaine turns up asking for his money again, with Yo-Yo confirming that he was definitely dead last time she saw him. The trio join forces to find out how Fontaine has come back from the dead and uncover a dark mystery surrounding the Glen. Made in a 70s exploitation style, this film may be set in modern times but feels somewhat out of time and an almost skewed reality, which benefits the unhinged nature of the plot at times. Melding sci-fi and mystery, as well as a smattering of social commentary and satire, Jewel Taylor's debut shows a promising start for the new director, with a stylish flair that lends well to the proceedings. Boyega steps into the lead role well, And it's great to see the promise that he showed early in his career, that was sadly subdued through the Star Wars films, bubbling to the surface once more. Jamie Foxx, who also serves as producer, is great, and he delivers another fun character akin to the smart talking roles he's had fun with in recent years. As the smart plot plays out, paced wonderfully to keep the intrigue flowing, the trio of leads do well to keep you entertained and engaged. Each of them are pure caricatures, archetypical tropes of characters but for very good reason, as the story plays out and explains. They Clone Tyrone is a darkly witty, intriguing sci-fi offering from Netflix, and one which hints at a potentially larger world setting, should they desire to make a sequel. It's well worth checking out. Uh,
0: Next up, you've got...
1: Hidden Strike.
0: I have been sort of babysitting the child, and that came up on a list of films, and we both looked at it and went, nah.
1: team international criminals. The biggest oil heist in
0: history. It's not personal.
1: These guys are a little bit on edge. You guys do nicknames? Uh, All
0: Eagle. Tomb Raider. Full
1: disclosure, there's a lot going on here. I think they're gonna shoot you. Why? Because the first time it's you, I want to shoot you.
0: are muscles on fire! See? Just take it back with the want. ones.
1: It's like we got ourselves an old fashioned standoff. Stand uh-huh. You go high, I'll go low. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm okay. You okay? Get off me. Okay. Originally titled Extraction, this film has been sat on a shelf for around five years before it finally landed with very little fanfare on Netflix. Taking that into account, it comes as no surprise that the final result is an immediately forgettable action thriller, which doesn't do anything that we haven't seen churned out by the streamer so many times before. In the near future, a team of mercenaries led by Jackie Chan's Lufeng is sent in to evacuate employees of a Chinese-owned refinery after it comes under attack by an unnamed rebel force. As the evacuation heads into an area named the Highway of Death, because of course it is, it comes under attack from a group of mercs. One of whom is John Cena's Chris Van Horn, who signed up for the task without realising the Merc group's true intentions. Van Horn and Feng initially come to blows, but soon realise they have a common enemy and hesitantly team up to save the day. Because of course they do. It's worth noting that Cena lifts things somewhat. His on-screen charisma always shines through, and much like the myriad of other generic outings he's been in, I'm looking right at you, Fast X, he's one of the genuine highlights. Chan, however, is as awkwardly placed as he's been for the last couple of decades, as he tries churning out his acrobatic action that he used to pull off so much better ooh, 40 years ago. These days, watching Chan in action scenes is akin to watching Grandad get up at a family party and try to dance along to Blackpink. It's just cringeworthy and kind of embarrassing. Directed by Scott Woe, who gave us Act of Valour and Need for Speed, you can't say we weren't warned. As to how formulaic and bland this whole thing would be. This is totally generic action fair, with even Pilo Asbeck struggling to make any kind of a mark in a role that tries to fool you at the start of him being a nice, caring guy. But, you know, he will end up being the main bad guy because, well, Pilo Asbeck. Not worth the time that I wasted watching it.
0: I've, I've gone off Jackie Chan really since Karate Kid and, you know, his Western films. Apart from, for me, Shanghai Noon, which I thought was marvellous. He never made that transition particularly very well. I wasn't a fan. His Brett Ratner movies, Rush Hour. So uh, uh, most of the American movies that Jackie Chan's done hadn't really landed for me.
1: And then my final film this week is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Great title.
0: Is it a great film?
1: Trying to stop the pipeline. Michael, what do you think the odds are we of them? I don't really care. Structural damage is kind of the point.
0: They will defame us and claim this was violence, but this was justified. This was an act of
1: self-defense. adapted from the non-fiction book of the same name, in which Andreas Malm argued that climate activists need to step up a gear if it really wants to make an impact. The film takes the arguments put forth by Malm and crafts a fictional tale about a group of climate change activists who concoct a plan to destroy an oil pipeline in two key locations, which will make the cost of rebuilding the pipe so high that it will impact heavily on the price of oil. Jumping backward and forward in time, the main focus is on the events of the days of the pipeline attacks, the team of activists locate the strike points attach their explosives and plan to detonate and send their message to the oil industry this is interspersed with flashes back to each of the gang giving their history and reasons for being involved in the activism from health issues caused by living close to refineries to loss of property to destruction of ancestral territory to simple rebellious attitudes we see how they are drawn together over time and how the plans came about unfortunately The structuring of the flashbacks doesn't feel fluid at all and most are hand-fistedly inserted into moments just to attempt to create some false tension by breaking a scene up at a cliffhanger moment. As a result, these flashbacks almost get in the way of the story and it makes it harder to care much for them and thus you don't really connect with the individual reasons they each have for being there. This is an important film of our times. But much like the book that inspired it, it's quite a controversial one. Seemingly suggesting that domestic terrorism is justified, it leaves a bit of a distasteful residue by the end, with concerns that whilst the message the film is sending may come from a good place, it could easily be translated by the wrong people. The film almost skirts over the reasons for the pipeline being hit in two specific places, due to it being places that won't cause any damage to lives or land. It would be very easy to blink and miss that specific element, and then take the message the wrong way. This is an example of where a book can take a lot longer to explain things than a film can. And maybe, just maybe, something's been slightly lost in the adaptation. It's a powerful, albeit misguided film for our times. And I'm not sure how I feel about that, especially when the website for the film actually has a link to Take Action Now, which you go through and it has maps of pipelines across the US and other parts of the world and details,
0: it sounds it sounds quite um as though its message is quite insidious, but I'm also quite thinking it's 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 quite a bold
1: move. I agree with the sentiment. I agree that you know petitioning governments and like holding placards clearly isn't working. I agree with it needs to be stepped up again. And the book that it's kind of took the inspiration from talks about those ideas and the fundamental aspect of like in order to be taken seriously, we maybe need to step up this to here. But once you put it onto film, you then catch maybe some of the wrong audience who, whilst none of the people in this film put any other people's lives at risk except for their own, some who might get the wrong idea from this might start blowing up the wrong things. And that's where my problem is, is that once it goes onto film, it becomes too far reaching that it doesn't capture just the people who understand what it's all about. Great film, great message, but it just feels that there's something there that maybe might get the wrong people on board
0: intriguing we'll see if there's any any feedback or any comeback from that because
1: i saw one critic who um said that how would people feel if they say if they did a film called or how to hijack a plane and it because it, it is kind of like a, a step-by-step guide into what you need to do and what you need to look out for and domestic terrorism is still domestic terrorism it's an important film of our times i think it's worth seeing for the important message that is given more than anything else okay i shall
0: add that to this weekend's list of films i do have to catch up with i've been catching up quickly drop in good omens series two landed on prime this week already episode one in and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun it's not quite as sharp as as book one um, which was based on of course the neil gaiman and, and terry pratchett and i think the voice that's missing out of it is terry pratchett, pratchett.
1: yeah I felt the same. I'm one episode in, I'm enjoying it. It's very gaming But yeah, I think what made Gold Doman's 1 work so well was the, the combination of the two different writers coming up with that story together gave it that sharp edginess.
0: And that's it for the reviews. But what's coming up this week? Cinemas and streaming and TV.
1: At cinemas, another film that I really want to see, and I'm hoping that I'm going to be well enough to sit and watch it and play catch-up, Meg to The Trench arrives in the UK this week, Uh, Joyride also gets a release at the cinemas across the UK and Just Super also releases. On Now TV and Sky, film called Maggie Moore, which sees John Hamm as police chief Sanders unravelling a web of small town lies while investigating the bizarre murders of two women with the same name. And then we've spoken about him in the deep dive, Bruce Willis's final role, Assassin, lands this week on Now TV. He's the boss of a company that's developed technology which allows undercover agents to literally inhabit other people's bodies to carry out covert missions. But the tech isn't perfect, and an agent pays the price. Sounds generic. Bruce Willis' is outing. I think we deserve in the favor of us watching it. Yeah. Uh, over on Netflix, Zom 100, Bucket List of the Dead, a live-action adaptation of the Japanese manga of the same name, sees an over- overworked worker find a new lease on life after the zombie apocalypse stops him from ever having to go back to work. <laughs> I've ticked my box, there. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it across the streaming services this coming week. I've got so much catching up to do. Uh, I'll probably just catching up.
0: Uh, that, folks, that's us done for this week. But before we go, and it's a welcome return of neat things. Stuff that, well, I've enjoyed. If Andy's not been bedridden and not been able to enjoy anything, we'll soon find out.
1: I've got a neat thing because during my illness periods, Season two of The Bear landed.
0: I've heard so much good stuff about The Bear season one that, of course, season two uh, deserves watching. I really need to get round to The Bear.
1: Now, you know that I'm not a binge watcher.
0: Yeah, you're a bit like me on that. You
1: know that I prefer to let things settle. But I ploughed through all of season two over two days. I had to binge watch it because it was such good drama. Season one focused primarily on Jerry Allen White's carmy character, and um, Io Edebiri's character and Iban Moss Bacharach's character. They, they were the trio that it focused the main story on. And whilst there are a lot of Carmen, Sid, uh, etc. in this one, every member of the supporting cast kind of gets this part to shine and gets episodes dedicated to their story as they're going along. It, basically, season two is they are working against a tight deadline to open up their new Burr restaurant. And finding all the troubles in the way of getting up to like a Michelin star kind of cuisine from going for like burgers and quick food. They want to go for something a bit more prestigious. And it's absolutely engrossing, thrilling, engaging, and pure, beautiful, sometimes comical drama. And this season in particular is stacked with guest stars. Alongside all the main cast who have all been great in season one, we get Will Poulter pops up we get bob odenkirk we get jamie lee curtis sarah Paulson, olivia coleman many many more scattered throughout in sometimes only minor roles that are only on screen for two or three minutes it's as though everyone who's everyone wants to be a part of this series because it's getting such good critical acclaim if you've not jumped on board the bear season one and season two are now on disney plus and well worth checking out Trust me, once you get a few episodes into season one, you will be absolutely hooked into the lives of all of these characters. And by the end of season two, you will be clamoring to get a taste of the next course.
0: Great recommendation. So mine is uh, entirely the opposite. Mine is a game. So I got burnt like everybody else did by picking up the Avengers game. Yes, I should have read the reviews. Uh, it, It wasn't great. I've always wanted to play a great superhero team game and the Avengers wasn't it. But I did hear that Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy game was pretty good. So I got it for Christmas. Took me a few months to get around to it. The child started playing it before I did and loved it. And I sort of watched over his shoulder as he was giving it a go. And I thought, you oh, know, this looks fun. And let me tell you, it's a great game that perfectly captures the Guardians of the Galaxy. The crew, Oh, uh, you all know, Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, rocket and grew are basically cut and paste from the from the movies and that is a good thing Story is good fun it's compelling there are numerous emotional moments that, that draw you in closer uh you get to play only the star lord character but everybody on the team works together in that kind of bickering and bantering way that you'd expect from the guardians of the galaxy um uh, films the, the voice cast while not identical doesn't matter it's close enough to make you believe in the characters you get choices throughout the game uh the dialogue is witty and funny and there are some neat uh neat needle drops as well yep Def leopard are in there this is a lot of fun and one of those games that i just can't put down unlike resident evil 2 which i loved but i had to sort of stop and start it only because it was too exhilarating and uh left me exhausted this you just keep on at because it is just a barrel of laughs. If uh, any game companies are looking to make a superhero team game, then this should be your template. A lot of fun, and that's Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And I've got it on the PS Four. And that, folks, that's us done for our return edition. I'm back from holidays, and is not recuperating, but at least he made it to this show. So a big round of applause for Andy. It's good to see that you are functioning i hope to see you later buddy and and hoping you uh well i'm not going to wish you well because you're kind of in that negative zone of of just waiting right now
1: yeah um, uh, i'm getting there i'm getting there but you know being off work is giving me a chance to like just catch up on a few shows and uh, plough through loads and loads of movies. Um, I, I think I've, I've watched so much over this past few days. Watch so much.
0: Uh, I've got so much to watch. Uh, been away for a week. And while it was great to be away for a week, um, you know, it does leave you quite behind. And, of course, the big is how dare I pick a holiday when the two biggest films of the year come out. Um, I've got to try and fit in this week. And, you know what, I think that's the mission that I'll choose to accept. <laughs> We'll be back next week. Remember, tell your friends, get on board with the Film File, and we'll have another show for you next week. Remember, Andy, things in this town are out of control. Two gangs is just one too many. Better, faster, stronger. All in the Film File, the film show for film geeks
1: by film geeks. Was that deliberate? i would
0: i don't kind of plan to think i'll start that again because it just sounded like ramblings
1: of a madman. <laughs> that he had in that <laughs> um, solo yeah in the solo <laughs> in your face whether you like it or not <laughs> film foul face in your face oh. film foul fans